Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season where we prepare for the arrival of Jesus. And we're going to use this Advent season to look at um, origin stories of the gospel. This fall, we introduced our new vision and direction for TFRC. The gospel is real. The gospel changes everything. And the gospel is simply that Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And we want to look at the origin stories of the gospel. And what do we mean by origin stories? Well, an origin story simply answers the question, how did we get here? You know, every couple months, um, a new superhero movie comes out. And every superhero has an origin story. And the origin story tells us how the superhero got their powers, um, how they ended up in our world, uh, how their enemies became their enemies. Uh, Spider-Man, Batman, Wonder Woman, Black Panther, they all have origin stories. The Christmas story is really not the essence of the gospel. The Easter story is the essence of the gospel. The Christmas story is an origin story of the gospel. It addresses the question about the gospel, how did we get here? The Chris, Christmas is the story of our Savior's birth. And so the origin stories would ask questions like, what happened that made a Savior necessary? Why do we need a Savior? Um, what do we need to be saved from? And to answer those questions, we are going to go way back Back to the beginning. Our scripture for this morning is Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you have your phones, go ahead and look up Genesis 3, 8 to 15 on your phones. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Like I said, we're going back to the beginning. Um, this passage that we're going to read, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 15, is right after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree, it's that tree that God told them not to eat from. Our scripture reader this morning is Tina Downs. And so, Tina, I'm going to ask to make your way on up to the podium. And as she does so, I'm going to ask all of you who are able to please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Tina, whenever you're ready, please read Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Tina, thank you very much. You may be seated. 
Uh, in this passage, God curses the serpent, the serpent who convinced the man and the woman to eat from the tree. Now, the idea of something being cursed is not completely foreign to us. Um, we do have curses that we are familiar with. Um, for example, there is something called the Madden cover curse. Um, Madden is easily the most popular football video game. Who has ever played a version of Madden football video game? Raise your hand. It's okay. No judgment. All right, for those of you who don't, I don't know what you're doing spending your time. I don't know how you spend your time if you're not playing that. But Madden football, it's named after the legendary coach and broadcaster, John Madden. Um, a new version of the game comes out every year. This year's version is creatively called Madden 22. Um, on the cover of the game is a popular player or two. This year, as you can see on the screen, it's Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. The cover features a new player every year. And the player makes the cover because of the great season they had the previous year. There's a curse. There's a Madden cover curse. And the curse is that the player on the cover has a really bad season or suffers a terrible injury during the year they're on the cover. Now, this is silly, right? Well, the reason people believe in the curse is from 2000 to 2020, 15 of the 20 players on the cover suffered a terrible injury or had a really bad season the year that they were on the cover. So you never want to see your favorite player on the cover of Madden. It's, it's not a good thing. It's a curse. So far, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes are doing fine, although Mahomes is struggling a little bit. Um, another curse that some of us are familiar with, this is more of a classic curse, is the Kennedy family curse. Um, between John F. Kennedy and his siblings and their children, that family has experienced 12 untimely deaths, including the assassination of JFK and his brother Robert Kennedy. Uh, there have been nine other tragic events impacting that family as well. And the theory behind that curse is that their father, JFK's father, Joseph Kennedy, did a number of unseemly things to attain power and wealth. And his unethical behavior has led to a curse on generations of that family. Many Disney movies have a curse in their plots. In Beauty and the Beast, the beast is a prince under a curse for his cruelty. In order to break the curse, he must learn to love and be loved. In Frozen, Anna's heart becomes frozen by a spell accidentally cast by her sister Elsa. And she can only be healed if a true act of love is performed for her. So curses are not all that uncommon in our culture for most of us. They are more superstition than reality. Yet, a curse is a key part of the gospel origin story. Even though it sounds like a superstition or a fairy tale, the reason we need a savior is because we are under a curse. Now, curses, they generate fear. When you are under a curse, you have this sense of fear. And there is fear in this passage. What is the fear all about? Well, if you go back to Genesis 3 and go back to verse 8, where it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
Um, the man and his wife hear God walking in the garden, and they hid from God. And God calls out to them. And then Adam's response, what he says, is a little peculiar. Because Adam says, hey, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. Um, why did Adam hide? He was afraid. And it was Adam's nakedness that made him afraid. Now think about it. When it comes to us in nakedness, the emotion that is usually associated with that is embarrassed, right? We hide our nakedness because we would be embarrassed for anyone to see us that way. It's shame. Shame and embarrassment. That's the emotion normally associated with that. But Adam didn't say that he was embarrassed of his nakedness. That's not why he hid. He hid because he was afraid of it. God is walking in the garden, and Adam and Eve hide because they were afraid. They were not afraid of God. They were afraid of their nakedness. In their nakedness, they saw something about themselves that scared them. God's presence made them realize something about themselves that was scary. Whatever happened to Adam and Eve after they ate off that tree, it was scary. Something that they saw in themselves scared them. And that's what curses do. They generate fear. And since that moment, fear has been a major part of life. Fear is a major theme in the Bible. The word fear or afraid, it occurs over 500 times in the Bible. And um, I like to categorize emotions. Someone told me this once. There are four general categories of emotions. The next time someone asks you, how do you feel? Make it multiple choice. You are either glad, sad, mad, or afraid. And if you look at those three, what I would call negative emotions, sad, mad, and afraid, um, well, the words sad and downcast, that appears 50 times in the Bible. The word hate appears 125 times about in the Bible. The word anger appears 270 times in the Bible. The Bible spends more time addressing fear than it does sadness, hate, and anger combined. Now, that should resonate with us a little bit because just think about your own life. Of those three emotions, mad, sad, and afraid, how much do you find yourselves battling anger? How often does that happen? How often do you find yourself battling sad? How often, how much of your life is shaped by fear? Fear drives us. We fear for our physical safety. We fear for our financial security. We fear for our relationships, for our loved ones, for our way of life, for our freedom. Fear, fear, fear. We have fears about everything. How much of your life is shaped by fear? The sheer amount of fear that we experience every day tells us something is wrong. <laughs> there is something not right. Maybe, maybe we are under a curse. So let's unpack what the Bible has to say about this curse. Because while most curses are superstitions and fairy tales, this one in the Bible is not. It is a very real curse. In fact, as I unpack 
how the Bible describes it, I expect all of us to resonate with it. For all of us to say, yeah, that is totally me. And the curse, the curse is quite simple. The curse is that we surrender to our desires. We surrender to our desires. Going back to the passage, going back to verse 11. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Man and the woman, they're hiding in the garden. Something bad just happened. And when the man said that he was naked, God says, well, who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? In other words, you're busted, okay? Later in the chapter, God will curse the serpent. But what God does with Adam and Eve isn't called a curse. Scripture doesn't call it a curse. Eve will have pain and childbearing, and the ground will, and the ground will be cursed because of Adam. But while God curses the serpent, he never uses that language in regards to Adam and Eve. See, God doesn't curse them. Something bad has already happened to them. A sort of curse that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has given them. The, now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, that whole story is about a choice. There are two competing factors in the story of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a choice between God's word and our desires. You see, Adam and Eve have to decide whether or not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I put Adam and Eve together because while it's popular to blame Eve for everything, uh, and even though she's the focus of the story, uh, Adam was right there when it happened, okay? He could have intervened at any time. Um, now, there is only one reason given for Adam and Eve to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that reason is God told them not to. That's it. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There you go. God says don't. Don't do it or you'll die. That's the only reason for them not to eat from the trees because God tells them not to. Well, what are the reasons for eating from the tree? Well, Genesis 3 says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. There are three reasons. It's good for food, which means it tastes good. It's pleasing to the eye, which means it looks good. It's desirable for wisdom, which means it'll make you smart. Now, we like things that look good. We like things that taste good. And we like things that make us smart. All three of the reasons in the passage appeal to desire. So, the question is, will Adam and Eve surrender to what God says, his word, or will they surrender to what they want, their desires? And they surrender to their desires. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to. 
What they desired was more important than what was right. And that is the nature for all of us. We prefer to do what we want over what is right. Think about it. What comes easier to you, doing what is right or doing what you want? Now, when those two things are the same thing, okay, no problem. But when they're in conflict, how hard is it to do what's right? God determines right and wrong, and he tells us what is right and wrong. And we are designed to live as God's word says. But when our desires determine what we do, our desires begin to determine for us what is right and wrong. Our desires become our morality. Or let me use more familiar language. Our desires begin to determine for us what is good and bad. Raise your hand if you like junk food. Okay? Potato chips, Cheetos, Fritos, Doritos, pie, cake, brownies, chocolate, candy. Keep them up because I want to see who's being dishonest in church. Okay? All right. Now, we like junk food, and, because, and what we would say, how we would describe it, is junk food is good. Right? And the question is, is it really? Is junk food actually good? Is it good for you? No, it is not. So why would we say junk food is good? Because we like it. And because we like it, we assign the value good. When in actuality, it's not good. It's not right for you. It is nutritional fact that junk food is bad. It is not right. So when we say junk food is good, what we mean is we like junk food. It tastes good. It makes us happy. And we desire things that taste good and make us happy. Does that sound familiar at all to the Adam and Eve story? You can either eat right, healthy, or you can eat what you desire. Eating what we desire comes naturally. If there's a bag of chips in my house, it's not hard for me to make it disappear. Bag of carrots? Mm, that's different. However, the more we surrender, the more we surrender to our desires, the more it can hurt us. If we only follow our desires, if we got to the point that we only ate what we wanted and all we ever ate was junk food, it would literally kill us. God is the one who determines right and wrong. We are designed to live as God's word says. After eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, our desires determine what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. Now, desires are not all bad. This is not an anti-desire message. Desires are good, and the reason desires are good is because they motivate us. They are necessary. If we don't have any desires, we'll never do anything. Desires are the engine that motivate us. They are the source of our goals. Having no desire, that's not good. And that's part of the curse, is that we need desires. 
The danger is that they hurt us and they can hurt others. We need our desires for motivation. But if they determine what is right and wrong, if they determine what is good and bad, they will destroy us. Matthew 15, Jesus says, the things that come out of a person's mouth from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Our desires come from our hearts, and our hearts are sinful by nature. Our desires do not naturally line up with right and wrong. Sometimes they do. I would argue most of the time they don't. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, slander, all of these things hurt us. But our nature is to prefer to do what we want over what is right when they're in conflict. And that's the curse. The desires that drive us are tainted to destroy us. God determines what's right and wrong. We're designed to live by his ways. But now... Our desires determine right and wrong, good and bad. There are over 7 billion people in the world. We do not all have the same desires. But all of us with our own desires are determining what is right and wrong, good and bad for ourselves. 7 billion of us. That's the curse. It's a mess. And think about the things that cause the most suffering in the world. War, or poverty, or world hunger, or human trafficking, or genocide, or racism, or abuse. They are all caused because we determine good and bad based upon our desires. If we like something, we do it. Whether it's right or wrong is often secondary. But think, if everybody did what was right, if everybody did what was right, war, world hunger, human trafficking, genocide, racism, abuse, they would all go away. All the injustice and evil would go away if everybody did what was right. But we don't. We do what we want. And we ended up with a mess. It's a curse. Do you see, do you see how our desires both help us and hurt us? Do you see it? Because most of the time we do this, we don't even think about it. We need desires to be motivated. But imagine, imagine if you did everything you desired to do. Imagine if your desires dictated every action of your life. And what is right and wrong completely went out the window. If we like it, we do it. If we don't like it, we don't do it. And I'm going to pause for a second because I really want you to think about this. If you did everything you ever desire in the moment you desire it, how much damage would you do? You would destroy everything meaningful in your life. That's the curse. And like Adam, when you think about how much damage you could do if you just followed your desires all the time, that should scare us. 
just like it scared Adam. The curse, there's this sense of fear. It's a surrender to our desires. And the curse requires a savior. Going back to the passage, God knew it right away. He saw it right away. Verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God promises that someone will come to crush the evil one, the one who convinced Adam and Eve to follow their evil desires. And with that promise is hope, is hope that the curse that we live under will be destroyed. However, that curse will not be destroyed by an act of power, but by an act of self-sacrifice, which makes sense. If the curse began with an act of selfishness, doing what I want regardless of what is right, then the redemption of the curse is an act of self-sacrifice, doing what is right regardless of what I want. Now, what does all this have to do with Christmas? What does that do with Christmas? Well, the curse is part of the origin story of the gospel. What does the Christmas story Tell us about Jesus, the one who will save us from our curse. Again, the curse is not broken by an act of power, but an act of humble sacrifice. And the Christmas story is a story of quiet humility. Jesus, born to a poor girl from Galilee, and that poor girl and her husband have to travel a long way while they're expecting, a long way from home. And Jesus is eventually born in a manger, a place for the animals, and the first ones to visit are lowly shepherds. The story of Jesus' birth, the Christmas story, it's a humble story because it's going to take humility to break the curse. And it's going to take humility from us to believe such a story. Please pray with me. And Lord, as we come before you, we are grateful for what Jesus did on our behalf to be born in such a humble way to come to this earth to save us in humble self-sacrifice, to free us from our curse. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.